Hope Church. If you have been with us, you know that we're in the book of Matthew, but we're taking a break this morning um, because it's Labor Day, a lot of people are out. So Chet asked me to do something from the Old Testament, so I chose everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. Um, I'm actually in a Bible study in Israel about Leviticus, and we've gotten to chapter 5 after a year. Um, we don't meet every week, but it's, uh, we're kind of obsessed with the details, but it's given me a new appreciation for this book. Um, it's, it's really an incredible book if we understand the significance of what these people are actually doing. So I wanted to take the opportunity to preach from Leviticus because you might not ever hear another sermon from Leviticus again. Um, so we're going to do Leviticus 16. If you ever do hear another sermon, it's quite likely that it would be from Leviticus 16. Um, Leviticus 16 is about the Day of Atonement. So, a couple of things about... Well, let's read the passage first. We're going to read 1 through 20, and then I'll talk a little bit about um, what the Day of Atonement is. So, this is Leviticus 16, verses 1 through 20. And then we're going to stop in the middle. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord." that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat and on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, 
because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may, may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. All right, let's open up in prayer. God, you are so holy. Lord, if there is one thing that we learn from this passage, it is that you are holy. And Lord, we are nothing in your sight. Lord, our sin pollutes everything we do. But you are pure and spotless. God, I just pray that you would purify us this morning. That we would leave this room more like your son than when we walked in. Lord, that we would earnestly seek your face during this time. Lord, that you would be everything to us. That we would remove all distractions and focus only on you and your goodness, your love, your holiness, your justice and power. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Please speak to all of us this morning. And let nothing be said that is not from you. We pray all of this for the glory of your Son. Amen. All right, so um, if there is one attribute that I think is lost, um, not completely, but for, to a large extent today in the church, it is holiness. The God that is present in the church today that people talk about is um, often talked about in a very flippant manner. There is... The, the, the reverence for God is, uh, has diminished as people have grown you know, more comfortable with Jesus, right? People tend to treat him as their pal, their buddy, their homeboy, um, and not as the creator of everything. We see in the scriptures a different picture. We see in Isaiah 6, when Jesus, or Isaiah sees Jesus on the throne... All the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. The way that they describe Jesus is that he is supremely holy. And the angels that are around the throne are not willing to look at Jesus. They can't even look at him. Because he is too holy for them to behold. And it is true that we, as Christians, have even greater privileges than those angels. We can look at Jesus. But still, what we are seeing when we do that 
is a being that is holy beyond imagination. Holy, holy, holy it is a superlative. It's how you say this being is the most holy thing. So I, I want to talk about one, God's holiness this morning and the holiness of the temple because of that. So this, this creates a big problem, God's holiness, throughout the scriptures. The problem is that God is holy and people are not. And so God wants to dwell with his people, but he can't because the people are unholy. Right? This is the issue. This is, this is the thing that after Genesis 3, God has been trying to fix right throughout the whole scriptures. And the thing at the end that he does fix, right? The fact that God is holy and people are not. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the Old Testament solution to this problem and then how that relates to the New Testament solution to the problem. And then the implications for us today. So a little introduction to the Day of Atonement in general. It is really hard to describe to you how important the Day of Atonement is to the Jewish people, even today. So last year we were, so I've been in Israel for the past year, and we were in Israel on the Day of Atonement with our friends, and literally the entire city shuts down. There is nothing, you can't drive, there, the, the roads are all blocked, you can't go to any store, everything is shut down. We literally walked down a major highway, just right down the road, because there's, there's no one there, right? Though everyone, um, and, and the idea behind the day is that everyone is repenting for their sins. That's, that's the idea. They repent, they fast, and they, they seek forgiveness from God. So that's today. In Jesus' time, so th- there's, a, there's a collection of Jewish writings called the Mishnah, which gives us a picture, a little insight into some of the practices of the Jews during Jesus' time. Um, it's, about, it's, it's a commentary on the, the Torah, the Mishnah is, by, by rabbis, for the, for the most part. So, they talk about this day. And to give you an idea of how seriously they took it, they would lock the, the priest, the high priest, into a um, special place in the temple courtyard for a week before this happened. Because if he's outside with other people, he might touch someone that's unclean. Right? Or someone might touch him. Make him unclean. Then he can't go in to the Holy of Holies for this day. Right? They kept him up all night long in case he became unclean during the night and would read the scriptures to him. Right? They, they, would, they have all these elaborate provisions so that he can be clean for this day. So that he can go into God this one time every year and make atonement for the people. It was the holiest day in Israel. And in a lot of ways, it still is. This and Passover. So, again, it's hard to describe to you how significant this is to the people. But I I want us to see this morning um, what it meant 
for the high priest to do these things in the presence of God. So I said already that there, there is a problem, right? The problem is that God is holy and that the people are, are not. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So, again, I mentioned in the beginning that we we struggle with this today because we tend to to think post-Jesus that God is now... um, I mean, he, he is our friend. He says that, right? But he is still holy. And so we have to keep both of these things together. And it says that the high priest cannot go into the presence of God, be inside the veil, or else he will die. This is the God to whom we are praying. When you come before God, in prayer, even if it's before a meal, right? And you're just thanking God for the food. You are talking to a being whose presence kills people. That, that reality should change the way that we pray, right? Just the fact that there are people that have walked into his presence and died. That, that, is, that changes things. Right? And it is still the same God in the New Testament. We're going to get to the New Testament. And we should have boldness. Right, God, In uh, Hebrews 4.16, it says that we should have boldness to approach the throne of grace. But we must remember who we are approaching when we are doing that. Boldness is not the same as flippancy. So, moving on to verses 3 through 5, we see... The only time that he is allowed to enter into the holy place, or the holy of holies. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So the significance of the sacrifices are, are huge here. And we're going to talk about them in a, in a second. Um, but I just want us to look at verse 4. It says, He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarments on his body, right? So he puts on these special clothes. First he, he bathes, right? And then he puts on these special clothes that are only for this day. And the special clothes are, are pure white and they signify holiness and purity. And this is, as I mentioned, the, the problem, right? The, the high priest was the holiest person in Israel, He was holy by virtue of his office, right? As the high priest, he could get the closest to God. But even he was not holy enough to stand before God God, except one time this year, right? Or per year. And even on that one time, 
he had to purify himself. He had to make himself holy. That's what sanctify means, right? So he had to wash his whole body, put on these holy garments. And we see that throughout the scriptures, that the one requirement for being in communion with God, for being in the presence of God, is holiness. It's actually not forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is a first step. It allows us, right, to, to become holy, right, so that we can stand before God. Like, if, if, we, if we have our sins and we're not forgiven, right, then we have no chance. But even angels, right, they don't have sins forgiven, but they're holy so they can stand before God, right? The, the key aspect of, of what we need for communion with God is holiness. And, and obviously we need forgiveness as well, being sinners. But we see this in Ezekiel 43. So Ezekiel is talking about, has this vision of this new temple. And he says that in, in 43, 11 and 12, well, re, we'll just read 12. This is the law of the temple. So this new temple symbolizing, um, I mean, Revelation, you know, the new temple from, from heaven, come, God coming to dwell with man. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. So there's only one law. It's that everything on the temple and around it shall be holy. Right? That's it. That's the only requirement. And so we see this playing out in Leviticus, that the thing required to stand in the presence of God is holiness. So moving on to, to, to the offerings in 6 through 10. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Okay, so... Quick thing about a sin offering. So, I don't know what your translations say. I don't think sin offering is the right translation. Um, some translations will say purification offering. Most people today, um, I mean, yeah, it's not really debated anymore what this offering is doing. It's a purification offering. The word for sin can also mean purify. And I know that is, seems very odd. But it, it, it does in Hebrew. So the idea is that this offering purifies. And we can see in Leviticus 4 um, the, the requirements for this offering. So Leviticus, the whole chap, chapter in Leviticus 4 is about purification offerings or sin offerings for sins that are committed unintentionally. Okay? So if we read... In verse 4 through 7 in Leviticus 4, he shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part 
of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrance, fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So the question is, what does this ritual symbolize? So we said it's a purification offering. In Leviticus 4, right, he, he's not going into the Holy of Holies. He's going, there's, um, you know, the holy place, right, with the altar of incense and the, the menorah, different things. And he goes and purifies those objects. The blood is what he's purifying things with, right? So he doesn't put the blood on people. He actually puts the blood on the objects in the temple, right, or in the tabernacle. So the issue is that because of the sins of the people, they had contaminated the holy place, right? That's the idea, is because God is holy, he can't dwell with sin. So the way that the Old Testament deals with this problem is that the high priest enters into the, the holy place, and once a year, the most holy place, to purify these things, right, from the sin that they had committed. The issue is that God cannot dwell with sin. God dwells in the temple, the tabernacle, so that needs to be purified, right? That's, that's the idea. And we're going to see this later on in the passage, specifically with the Day of Atonement. So that's the first goat, the, or yeah, the goat made for the, the purification offering for the people. Now there's a second goat that goes to Azazel. So this is, has been debated for a very, very long time what Azazel means. Um, Ez in Hebrew is, is goat, Azel is go. So most likely that, that's a... Um, both a description of, of what the goat is doing and probably a kind of demon figure. So the Jews thought that the wilderness was a place of you know demons, bad things. Uh, if, if you read the, the prophets, they're always talking about you know a city becoming a wilderness or a desert, right? So the idea is that that one goat is presented for a, a purification offering in the, the Holy of Holies, and then the other goat is sent off into the wilderness to demons, Satan, um, evil, right? Kind of to go, to go back where it came from and to remove the sins from the people. So this symbolizes forgiveness, right? And what would happen is all of the sins of the people would be confessed on this goat. It would be confessed on the goat, and then the goat would carry those sins away, never to return. Right? So, obviously, a great picture of forgiveness. I, Chet mentioned last week or the week before about, you know, if you sinned two times a day, how many sins that is accumulating. I want us to think about the sin on this goat. You have the entire people of Israel. All of the sins of the entire people of Israel 
are confessed, not one by one, but they're confessed on this goat. And the goat goes away into the wilderness, never to return. It was carrying the burden of thousands and thousands and thousands of sins. And obviously that is our our picture for forgiveness, for Jesus who is the scapegoat, right? So we have both here forgiveness and cleansing. That's, That's the idea with these two goats. So moving on to verses 11 through 14. It says, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house, or purification offering. I'll just say purification offering, even though my translation doesn't. He shall kill the bull as a purification offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from before the altar, before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony." So that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So this is the first step in this day. The high priest takes a bull. So the bull is for a purification offering for himself. And for his household. This is another crazy thing that the, the uh, Israelites would do during Jesus' time. They would have another woman, a backup wife, for the man, the, the high priest, during that week. In case the, the, his wife died during that span of time, that week, while he was locked away. And that, that woman would become the wife of, of this man... Because it says that he needs to make atonement for him and his household, right? So they say, well, he needs to have a wife because he needs to have a household, right? So just, again, you would not believe the lengths that they went to make sure that this day went smoothly, right? I mean, it was worse than weddings. I mean, really, it was crazy. So we have this initial cleansing for the priest. So the priest has to make a purification offering for himself, He shall present the bull as a purification offering, right? So first he is becomes purified from his sin, right? So he goes into the Holy of Holies and presents this bull, right? Makes atonement for himself so that he can make atonement for the people. He has to be clean before he can make atonement for the people. So we see that what he also has to do is take incense, right? And put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. Okay, so not only does he, can he not go into the Holy of Holies, but even when he goes into the Holy of Holies, he has to put incense to cover the mercy seat or else he'll die then too, Right? So he still can't look at the picture of God's presence, right? Not, not even the, the true reality, but just the, well, I mean, God was there, but it's not the same as, the, as going to heaven, right? And seeing the true heavenly things, which is what Hebrews talks about. 
but he has to cover the, the mercy seat with incense. Incense is a symbol of prayer. So we see this in Revelation 8, 3 through 4, that this, the, the, the incense um, is the prayer of the saints. So prayer is essential to come before God, right? There is no way to approach God without prayer. In particular, the scriptures say that Jesus is our intercessor, right? The only possible way for us to come before God is for Jesus' prayers to cover him for us, right? So at this point, he is in the Holy of Holies. He comes back out. The priest does. So now he, he's, he's done the purification offering for himself with the bull. He comes back out. And again, the Mishnah says that he would say a short prayer. It was short because there were people waiting outside for him. And if it was a long prayer, they might get frightened and think he died. Right? So he says a short prayer, and then he takes the blood of the goat, and he goes back into the, the Holy of Holies. And he purifies the mercy seat. So this is a purification for the people, right? And we see in verses 15 through 20 what this means. It says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of, all, of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the, from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. So we see in verse 16 very, very clearly, right? Then he shall take, make atonement for the holy place. The issue is that the holy place has become unclean because of the sins of the people. So, what does he do inside the veil? He takes the blood of the goat and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat. So, if you know about the construction of the tabernacle, you'll know that the, there was a chest, right? The chest had the Ten Commandments in it. On top of the chest... There is a lid called the mercy seat. And above that stood the cherubim, right? The angels worshiping God. So what he would do is he would purify the, the place that represented justice to the people, right? This is where the Ten Commandments were. So he would put blood on the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And at the base, 
So thus, he, you, you can see this, this requirement for God's justice, right, to be satisfied. So the holy things, as I said, are, are defiled by sin. But I, I want to take a second to, to think about why these things are, are holy to begin with. They are, are holy because they are near God, right? This is the idea. There is gradations of holiness. It's, it's, it's a scale, right? So the closer you get to God, the closer you are to holiness. So you can see that once, once he enters into the Holy of Holies, right? That's why it's called this. He is in the most holy place in the world, why? Because he is closest to God. So God is the thing that makes everything holy. So we have this picture, right? From all of this, we have this picture of God requiring two things on this day, or doing two things with these sacrifices. So one is that he is purifying the place, the high priest is purifying the place where God dwells. And second is he's forgiving the sins of the people by taking the sins away, right, into the wilderness. And so what I, what I want to talk about the rest of our time this morning together is how this relates to the New Testament. And I think this is something that in the New Testament, we, we often get half the story. N- not, not because the New Testament itself is unclear, but because the way we have emphasized certain passages and not others, we, we tend to leave a goat out. And the goat that we leave out typically is the goat that's brought into the Holy of Holies. It's the one that's making purification. So, first, let's, let's talk about the, the temple. Because the issue is, the temple is the thing that needs to be purified. So, I just want to give you a little bit of an idea. I, I mentioned this, I don't know, several weeks ago. But, how significant the temple was to these people. I want to give you a little bit of an idea of, of just this, the grandeur of this place. So this is during Jesus' time. The, the temple sits... So even today, the, the temple's not there, but what is there is the thing called um, the Temple Mount. So Herod the Great built a massive platform to put the temple on. This platform is 525 by 328 yards. So we're talking about multiple football fields. The stones are typically around 10 to 20 tons a piece. The biggest one is 400 tons. Okay, it is it is incredible. Literally, you you walk up to this thing and there are stones that look like a car. It's it's crazy. The wall is five and a half yards thick. During when the temple was actually standing there. The whole thing was built of marble and gold. And it was said 
that it would shine so brightly on a sunny day, and most days in Israel are sunny. It would shine, shine so brightly that you couldn't look at it. So this is, this is an incredible structure. And the, the, again, like I said, the most incredible thing was that God dwelt there, right? Even today, most Jews will not go up on top of the Temple Mount because they don't know exactly where the Holy of Holies was. And if they're not the high priest, they can't go into the Holy of Holies. So they're, they're unwilling, most Jews are unwilling to go up onto the Temple Mount because they might accidentally step in the place where the Holy of Holies used to be, Right? That's how seriously they took this idea of temple. And that is how seriously the New Testament takes it. Right? These Jews, right, Paul, Peter, John, Jesus, right, they think of the temple like this. The difference is that they recognize after Jesus' death and resurrection that God does not merely dwell in the Holy of Holies anymore. Right? This is the incredible thing. So we see in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, where God dwells. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And he goes on to say, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, this was a very, very big deal for Paul to say that people are now God's temple. So, what is the significance of this with the Day of Atonement? Why are we talking about um, us as God's temple with the Day of Atonement? So, if you've made the connections, you realize that the issue with us, right, for God to dwell in us, is that we have to be purified, right? This is, this is the whole thing. So, again, it is, when, when the cross is discussed, it is very often talked about as something that forgives. And it is something that forgives. I agree. But it is also something that makes people holy. And a lot of times, we want to have the forgiveness and not the holiness. And let me just tell you, you aren't forgiven for nothing. You're forgiven to be made holy. The whole point is holiness. The whole point is for us to be transformed into the image of God. It means nothing to be forgiven, right? Merely to be forgiven if we are not holy. And so we see this in Ephesians 5 as an example of you know, what Christ's death did for his people. So Ephesians 5.25, we looked at this several weeks ago. Derek preached on it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So this is a great passage for realizing how did Christ love the church, right? Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, in verse 26, it says that, "...having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word." I mean, I'm not sure about this, but I can't help but think whether Paul was thinking about the Day of Atonement on this washing of water, with water, right? The, the high priest only washes his whole body one time, right? To come in before the presence of God. He washes his entire body, puts on these new clothes, then comes into God's presence. This is the picture, right? We are washed with the word, so that we are presented holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. So God's design was that Jesus' death would not only affect forgiveness, but it would affect holiness. And we see the same thing in Titus 2, 11-14. So it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So the grace of God has appeared... Bring salvation, in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we see multiple times, I give you other passages as well, the cross of Christ, part of what it does is it trains people to live a godly life. And I said this before, but we we want to have forgiveness without the holiness. It doesn't work that way. If you don't have the holiness, you don't have forgiveness. And in the scriptures, repeatedly, right, It says, you have to bear fruit. You have to do good works. You have to be holy, etc., etc., etc. These are the things that tell us that we are forgiven. Do you want to know how you are forgiven? You see how God has transformed your life. Right? That's how you do it. That's the only test we have. If you're holy, like God is holy, if you walk as Jesus walked, you can know that you're forgiven. But if you don't, right... You are, and you say that you're forgiven, you are belittling the cross just as much as as someone saying, oh, the cross can't forgive me of this sin, right? The cross can break the power of every sin that we have. Just like the cross can forgive us from every sin that we have. It's designed to transform us. So if you are still a slave to sin... We're not forgiven, right? That's, that's the, the whole point, is that you, you have to have both. And, and I, I, I don't want us to, to despair this morning, but I want us to, to be encouraged that the God that can forgive any sin that we have committed can also change us so that we can conquer any sin that we are struggling with. And that does not mean we are perfect. And... We've talked about this, or I talked about this in Ephesians, right? It's about how you walk, right? Your lifestyle. This is the metaphor that's used consistently throughout the scriptures. 
how you are walking. But Jesus came to this, to this world to destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John 3. He came to break us, break our bonds to sin. And if we are content to live in our sin and just be forgiven, we misunderstand why he came. And so this morning, I, I, I want us to, to one, be in awe, in awe of Christ's holiness, right? The fact that, that there are people that have come before him and died. Right? Even in the New Testament, we see that when, when Jesus shows up to Paul, he is blown away. Right? This is a God who is, is far, far greater than we can imagine. And because he is so great, he actually does have the power to change us. And this, this takes work. Right? I, I know, yes, it is all the grace of God doing it. But on our end, on a day-to-day basis, that means that we are actively taking steps to follow Him. That's how God changes our hearts, right? Or that's the effect of God changing our hearts. And so what I also want us to, to do when we leave this place is not just think, God can you know, rescue me from my sin, but, but I want us to think specifically, what are the things that, that God needs to rescue us from, right? We can talk about sin as some sort of abstract thing all day, but until we start talking about, you know, the problem with how we talk to one another, right? The problem with how we look at women or how we look at men, right? Or the problems of, you know, materialism, those types of things. It just doesn't, it doesn't hit home. Right. So what I, what I want us to see is that, that Christ can forgive us from all of those things. He can, but He can change us. And far too many people are stuck in their sin because they think that Christ just came to forgive. That Christ came to, to set us free from guilt. He did. But he, kept set us, he sets us free from the power of sin as well. So my, my prayer and hope for us is that we would, we would strive with all of our might, this week even, today, now, right? To be, to be like Him. Don't, don't let the cross of Christ be wasted, right? It, if, if we are not holy right? The world looks at us and they say, your cross has no power. That's what they say. That's why so many people don't come to Christianity. They say, your God has no power to make you a different person. And we are shaming the cross when we continue to live in our sin. And when we show the world that we we actually aren't any different. So my, my, my encouragement for all of us is to, to realize that He is strong enough, that our God is holy, and that God's people 
His temple is holy, right? Jesus did go into the Holy of Holies. This is what Hebrews talks about. He went into the Holy of Holies and he made purification for his people. That's what he did. He is purifying his people. So I invite all of us to be a part of that. To let him purify our souls so that we can stand before him blameless and spotless as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the vision in the New Testament. This is the vision in the scriptures. This is what the world is all about. Us being there on the last day, pure and spotless for Christ. Let's pray. God, we truly are so unworthy to speak to you. Lord, even now you have angels surrounding your throne and they are screaming, holy, holy, holy. And the foundations of the thresholds are shaking Lord, they are not willing to look at you because you are too great to be looked at. And God, we are invited into your presence. God, this is incredible. Lord, I just, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for allowing us to come before you. Lord, I just, I beg you for for all of us that we would be transformed. Lord, that you would purify us by the blood of your Son. Lord, we know that the blood of your Son is more precious than anything in this world. It is more valuable than Lord, than than we can imagine. And it was shed so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be made more like you. God, I just pray, I beg you that we would be like you. That we would be able to come into your presence as people that are holy and blameless Lord, give us one desire and one desire only. David said, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. Lord, let this be our one desire, to be holy to be like you, so that we may see you for who you are and worship you for eternity. In your son's name, amen.